U.S. pork exports to China skyrocketed in 2020 as African swine fever eroded two-thirds of China's hog herd, driving local hog prices to record highs. A new report from CoBank's Knowledge Exchange notes that exports to greater China now account for nearly 8% of U.S. pork production, compared to just 2% in 2018. However, the report also suggests that as China makes progress rebuilding its hog herd, that jeopardizes the U.S. export picture over the next three to five years. Welcome to Feedstuffs In Focus, our podcast taking a deeper look at the big issues in the livestock, poultry, grain, and feed industries. I'm your host, Andy Vance. Thanks for joining us. This episode is sponsored by Hogslat. From cleanup to startup, Hogslat is there to supply the products you need. As close as your local Hogslat store or order online at hogslat.com. Will Sawyer is an economist with CoBank who authored the bank's recent outlook for pork exports. He told Feedstuff's editor Chris Welshens that although ASF will likely remain an issue in China's hog industry for years, if not decades in the future, the financial incentives to expand the country's domestic production are quite compelling. Producer margins in China averaged hundreds of dollars per head for several months in 2020. With that in mind, massive investment in building Chinese production facilities should drive U.S. producers to look for additional customers, at home and abroad, with an eye toward a day when China's purchases return to more historic levels. For more on the story, here's Krissa. Cobank just released a report about U.S. pork exports and specifically African swine fever, how it's impacting China and kind of the outlook for the U.S. pork industry as China rebuilds. Can you talk a little bit about what that report encompasses? You know, we never want to be the bearer of bad news or the, or, or the Debbie Downers, especially in the context of all the challenges that the pork industry and, and I would say the, the U.S. economy has faced in 2020. But what we wanted to kind of highlight here in, in the later parts of the year um, is that we were starting to see these early signs of expansion in, in China's pork industry. And we wanted to kind of take a look at what the long-term outlook might be for U.S. pork exports into this very critical region, not just for the U.S., but for global pork, and what it would mean for producers, processors, and most importantly, and obviously with CoBank and Farm Credit being you know, really important uh, lenders into the industry and, and happy to do so, you know, what are the things that the industry can kind of think about now and, and hopefully maybe do now to make that story a little bit less painful than what it might be otherwise. So what are you currently seeing in China? What is this, the status of African swine fever? And maybe there, can you give us a, a few more details on what their production is showing? I think when we think about African swine fever and we think about su uh, pork supply in China, they're both um, alive and well. So African swine fever is still very much an issue in China. It's still an issue for producers of all different shapes and sizes. I think like all diseases and the way that they impact producers and processors, we do get better over time at dealing with them. And some viruses are obviously easier than others. But I think the Chinese hog industry, because there has now been, you know, over two years of ASF experiences, obviously very devastating to that industry in the first year, uh, from the fall of 2018 through the fall of 2019. But in the last year, the industry has really bottomed uh, from a supply standpoint, and now is very much uh, in an expansionary phase. 
Whenever we talk about supply and demand in China, of course, the first question you always get is, what's reality? What's really happening? And you know, with 1.4 billion people, there is a story there for everybody. Uh, but I think when we put all of the tea leaves together, and when we look at the, I think the best indicators for supply today, in our opinion, that's really looking at, at pork prices and hog prices. And both of those would tell you that supply is expanding, that while demand is pretty good in China because of COVID being much more under control than maybe some other parts of the world, hog prices are declining. You know, today they're about 25% less than where they were a year ago when they hit their all-time highs. And so that's telling us that the billions of dollars, not yuan, but U.S. dollars that have been invested in China's hog industry to rebuild Af after the African swine fever impact is starting to take hold and pork supply is starting to rebuild. And one of the things that they're doing, as I understand, is larger operations that are more biosecure. Can you talk about that a little bit? You know, one of the always uh, interesting things I think about Chinese business is that business folks are always looking for good opportunities, whether that's an opportunity in their, their wheelhouse or skill set or not. And so a lot of folks um, outside of agriculture, uh, definitely outside of, of pork production, um, have invested in new pork supply. And to your point, much larger facilities, much more biosecure facilities. We've all seen the pictures of the pig hotels that can be six, seven, eight stories tall, which obviously work very well from a biosecurity standpoint as long as the virus doesn't get inside. And so uh, nevertheless, all of, of those methods, I think, are, are very interesting. I think there's also been the lessons of having pork production further away from the population centers than where we would have we would have seen pork production in years and decades past. And I think the second factor, and this is really an interesting one for us as we have kind of watched um, swine fever evolve over the last couple of years in China, is that I think initially folks in the pork industry in China and probably the government there thought this would be a great mechanism for overall improving the biosecurity. And 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 I think it has. But I think at the same time, African swine fever was far more impactful and wiped out far more of the herd than they would have ever expected. And so now they're having to incentivize not just big producers to come in and big investments to be made, but the smaller producers to come back too. And so, you know, when there's so much profitability available for every pig that comes to market at some points so over the summer, it was four or $500 per head. And every U.S. producer wishes they could even make a, a tenth of that. And so the expansion has happened across the industry, and it does make us a little bit concerned that while the industry is very much in the feast mode now, that famine might be a few years away, and, and that most likely will lead to a reduction in pork imports from the U.S. and, and a lot of other markets. Germany, just before we talk about maybe how the U.S. can prepare for this reduction that's going to happen in the future. I'd like to just discuss Germany briefly. Uh, what are you hearing as far as African swine fever emerging there and, and their ability to maybe keep it squelched? And then what do you think that will mean for the U.S.? Because obviously that's been a, an opportunity that we didn't really, you know, we thought it could be possible at some point, but we didn't really plan for it necessarily. So could you talk about that a little bit? I think most folks 
kind of forget that African swine fever as a global story has been around for decades, but it's been especially a factor in the last 10 years in Eastern Europe. You know, the, the German sector has seen African swine fever cases, in the last count over 150 cases, but they have been solely within their wild boar, I would hate to say population, but in that um, in that part of Germany. And so, you know, that is um, a real risk because endemic as African swine fever can be, and has been in many parts of the world, means that it could be many more months than the German industry would probably prefer it to be uh, as an issue. And so while ASF from a trade standpoint remains um, a pretty significant ban, uh, where today obviously China and Korea and Japan and the very significant Asian pork importers have banned the German market, that serves as a big opportunity for the US, Canada, Spain, Brazil, any other major pork exporters. And it, it most likely will be a year plus before Germany is back into the, the global market uh, in the way that they were prior to, to September when the first ASF cases were found in their wild boars. And I know they tried to get China to accept regionalization. Yep. Why do you believe China is so reluctant to accept a system like that? I think it's because livestock uh, as you know as an industry and, and it varies drastically of course country by country but the movement of animals from any country's perspective is hard to to track in some cases you know animals may only move 10 or 15 miles to be processed in other cases it can be dozens or um you know hundreds of miles and so the idea of regionalization adds a level of risk because you know, as we've seen with, with avian flu in the U.S. in years past, where we have been able to achieve regionalization for the kind of global poultry industry, it's still a difficult proposition, and you, and you need to have a lot of communication between countries, whether it's the infected country or the importing country, to be able to have that level of trust that regionalization is a method that'll work, that will allow product to flow without allowing the disease to come with it. That's really difficult to do. And I think where China is today, which is very different than where they were a year ago, they don't necessarily, at least today, they don't necessarily need that German supply to the same degree that they would. They're starting to see lower hog prices, lower pork prices. And as, as I'm sure the Chinese um, are watching pork supply here in the U.S., it continues to grow. We'll see a little bit more growth next year, I think, as well. And so I think um, the, the Chinese see a lot of options outside of Germany. If that were to change and we, and we were to see ASF across Europe, then we might see a little bit of a different approach there. But today, I think a national ban is, is where the, the Chinese are coming out. And I think a lot of other countries are as well. So all of this has really created um, a great opportunity for the U.S. pork industry. But as your report says, we still have to be hesitant moving forward. And, and we really can't rely solely on or, or bank on, on that in the future. What are some of the recommendations you're making for the U.S. pork industry moving forward as China begins to step back on what they're importing? We see a lot of a lot of opportunities still for the pork industry. We see a lot of the the right things being done by the industry groups and and producers, and a lot of that comes to looking at the rest of the pork picture outside of 
of trade with China and Hong Kong. That comes down to expanding pork exports into other key markets, whether that's you know Mexico, Japan, Korea, other key trade partners will be critical for the pork industry to expand those opportunities into Vietnam and the Philippines. I think it's also, and this may be the greatest opportunity, is to expand pork production here, or excuse me, pork consumption here in the U.S. Our kind of primary exhibit in, in our report that we put out a couple of weeks ago is looking not only at pork exports from the U.S., but domestic per capita pork consumption. And that's a line that doesn't show a lot of variability year to year over the last 20 plus years. We do see with the expanding um, demographics in the Asian and Latin communities in the U.S., there's a lot that the U.S. could do to serve those customers a little bit better than they are today. Some of the pork board has been talking about and others have as well. And so all of these variables from, you know, looking at other opportunities internationally, trying to expand domestic consumption can mean that while we have significantly expanded pork production in the U.S. with new plants and new farms, um, we can get through this next few year period, I think, and, and much less stress and pain for producers um, as a result. So U.S. consumer demand for pork has actually, uh, from what I understand, increased a little bit of, uh, during COVID because there's more people eating at home. Do you have any insights on, on that part of it and how things have changed just this year? And, and that's another possible opportunity that we also will see changing uh, maybe as the U.S. reopens. Yeah, I, I do think that protein demand has, has fared quite well during the COVID impact, to your point. I think a lot of consumers, while, you know, government support has been quite strong and, and significant, you know, the last seven or eight months, I think folks are still also looking for value, and, and pork obviously provides a lot of value. I think a lot of a lot of consumers have seen as the more food service oriented pork cuts have found their way uh, more available to the domestic market. And that's true for, for poultry and for beef as well. Um, that has given the consumer the opportunity to get some good value. And I think secondarily, you know, pork also allows that consumer who may not be the most familiar around their kitchen, which you know, obviously when restaurants have been closed and obviously here and um, as we go into the holiday season and winter months, you know, there might be, there looks to be uh, fewer restaurants open as some of the cities close some of their food service opportunities. The U.S. consumer is going to need to get even more familiar around their kitchen this winter. And I think pork, you know, has a, a lot of opportunity there. One of the things that you discussed was pork processing capacity has expanded. Where do you see that maybe in the next five to 10 years? Will it expand more? How does our, the U.S. hog sector, the U.S. pork production sector stay kind of in equilibrium as we have all of these different changes happening globally? We have seen, to your point, you know, three large plants built um, over the last few years. Um, each one has been built on the idea that they would expand their their export footprint for obvious reasons where where that has really driven the growth for the pork industry for for decades now. I think the pork processing footprint today is very much in equilibrium. You know, I think 2020 will be despite the volatility and the, the significant challenges in the spring, 
you know, producers on average, you know, aren't going to lose a, a huge amount of money, and that's even before the government supports come in. And the hog futures curve would tell you today that they'll probably make money next year. So, you know, I think we're in in a pretty decent position now. The question is, and of course, that's the point of the report is, you know, with seven, eight maybe even 9% in certain months of our pork production being sent into China, if that number you know, degrades over the next few years, then we need to find a, another home for that product. If we struggle to find a home for that product, then I think that there may be capacity in certain parts of the country that may need to be rationalized. And I think that's where you know, one of the important points and suggestions we make in the report is for producers to make themselves in the in the relationship with their processor too big to fail you know it's a term we used to of course use in banking during the great recession are the banks that were too big to fail but as a producer you can make yourself too strategic um, to a processor and so i think that can help many producers get through what can be a difficult time but we do see that possibility of a plant or two to close and that's very of course dependent on footprint and you know, the overall um, packer's perspective and, uh, you know, where they see efficiency. So there's a lot of moving parts there, but that, that could be a, a result that we saw, obviously, when plants closed in, in years past. Is there anything else that we haven't covered uh, that you, you believe would be important to note looking ahead, maybe uh, for 2021 and possibly the next five years for the pork industry? I think as we really focused for the pork industry in 2020 on exports, and that's obviously been a really great and positive story, we do see this threat of, of reduced pork shipments into China, but we also see pretty significant feed cost inflation. It's something that we're working on now, and we're going to be publishing on that topic in the next month or so. But with feed cost inflation being where it is today, with the threat of lower international demand due to China's rebuilding, you know, it really means that producers need to also really focus on their costs and really focus on their balance sheets. You know, this is a time where hog futures say that producers can lock in pretty decent margins for the next 12 months. Risk management becomes key. And that's usually a good time to put your house in order, whether it's efficiencies, whether it's your balance sheet, whether it's your risk management. And I think all of these things are, you know, over the next few months when the weather isn't as nice to be outside, um, it's a good time to be inside taking care of some of those things. And I think a lot of pr producers are probably already making those plans today. And obviously, CoBank is, is happy to do our part. Thanks so much, Will. I appreciate it. And thanks to Feedstuffs Editor Chris Welshens for today's report. You can read Chris's coverage of the global swine industry at feedstuffs.com. And you can also receive daily updates on animal disease issues and the markets by subscribing to the Feedstuffs Daily e-newsletter. Thanks also to our sponsor for today's episode, Hogslat. From cleanup to startup, Hogslat is there to supply the products you need. As close as your local Hogslat store, or you can order online at hogslat.com. I'm Andy Vance, and you've been listening to Feedstuffs In Focus. If you want to hear more conversations about some of the big issues affecting the livestock, poultry, grain, and feed industries, subscribe to this podcast on your favorite platforms, including Apple and Google Podcasts. Until next time, have a great day, and thanks for listening.